from it what you want us to take. Just be with him in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, and turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 10. I'm going to title my message this morning, Strange Fire, and I did get some of my inspiration um, from uh, David Wilkerson and, uh, and then from other parts of the scripture. I'm going to read the first two verses of Leviticus chapter 10, so chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and then later I'll read more of the chapter. But I'll start out with reading uh, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, it's nice when we can all agree, and I don't know, does everybody agree that Nadab and Abihu were just some bad, rude priests, that um, they, they didn't belong there? Or can we all agree that they made a mistake? Raise your hands. Can you all agree that Nadab and Abihu made a mistake? Just, I mean, we all agree on that, right? So maybe your impression of these two priests are the impression that they were just doomed from the start, they should have learned their lesson, and so forth. So, but their biggest mistake, I believe, was they didn't follow the commands of God. God had just spelled out to them what they needed to do, and they didn't do it. The Bible is not really clear on exactly what they did wrong more than it says they took strange fire. Um, I did some reading, and some people thought that, and it, it's because of some of the things they weren't allowed to do when they went in, and one of them is uh, some commentaries think that they were drunk when they went in. I have seen person, people up close that were drunk. And I would say that if they were drunk, they probably did get the wrong coals. Because <laughs> they don't know what's going on. I mean, uh, people that are intoxicated uh, don't think straight, they can't see straight, and they don't do things correctly. Or they just did something out of procedure, which is probably more correct. Turn back to Exodus chapter 24. <clears throat> so the account in Leviticus chapter 10 happens to be after the children of Israel went into the wilderness, they were in the plain of, of um, uh, close to Mount Sinai. And when they had the tabernacle built that God had instructed Moses to make, when Nadab and Abihu went in, that was part of the inauguration of the tabernacle. And I did not know that before. And you would think that if you make a mistake, the mistake you make would be maybe two years down the road after you get into a routine and you just kind of get into a rut and it's like, well, it's not that important after all, and you just make a mistake. But this was fresh on their minds. God had just given them instructions, and they made that mistake. Um, and... Exodus chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and this gives us a little different um, light or different view on who these people were. 
starting verse 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou, and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. I'm going to break there just a little bit. So the people were in agreement. They were all in agreement. And they even said to Moses, whatever you say, we will do. Which as a leader, that's exactly what you want to hear. When they're all in agreement and say, Moses, you're a leader. We saw your miracles. We trust you. So whatever the Lord says, we will do. Now keep that in mind. Verse 4, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. Now, just a question. What did you guys do uh, four weeks ago? What is one thing you did exactly four weeks ago? Don't remember, do you? See, they had the same problem we have today. The people just said that we will follow Moses, we will follow God, whatever he says we will do. And Nadab and Abihu actually saw God with Moses, Aaron, and 70 of the elders. Now you would think that if you saw God, that you would be so awestruck that whatever God told you to do, that from that point on in your life, you would just say, God, exactly like you say, exactly like you instruct, I will follow you. Your glory is so great. But you see, Monday morning comes. Have it, have, I mean, we have Monday morning experience, don't we? You have a good service on Sunday, go to sleep Sunday night, wake up in the morning, I've got to go to work. And you kind of get that draining outside. Or somebody calls and says, cows are out. I broke down. That's the Monday morning that hits. And you kind of forget what just happened yesterday. You forgot some of the gloriousness of God. It's our human nature. I read a, um, there's a saying, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too, that if, if everyone on earth could see into heaven, and I'm not getting this correct word for word, it would change the way everybody lives. But I'm not so convinced. Because Nahum and Nadab and Abihu saw God. They saw him walking on what looked like sapphires. They saw the gloriness of heaven, and yet it doesn't say the time frame, but it wasn't that long later that they were killed for disobeying God. 
So do they have short memories? Or what happened? And I think there's a lesson that I would like to draw out from that example. And that, that lesson is we need to daily come before God and experience his presence. When the priest would go into the tabernacle, um, Aaron in particular would bring incense and put it on the altar of incense in the morning and in the evening. Incense is, is um, it was something they had to do every day. You had to come into the, he had to come into the tabernacle. So, the lesson from that is, how often do we come before God and offer our prayers up to God? You see, if all we think about is work, if all we think about is the trouble around the world today, we probably will forget God. We will probably leave him. <clears throat> the question is, is where are we at with our prayers before God? I believe there's a relationship that we can find in, in Leviticus chapter 10 and also our approach to God. Years ago, as a, when I was still learning the mechanics, in particular diagnostic work, um, you would print out a flow chart. And in this particular one, I don't remember exactly what, what was wrong with it. I think it was something along the line of the cruise control didn't work. And people like their cruise control to work. And so in, in my diagnostic chart, it said, check this. And, and if, it was, if, you, if it worked, you'd go yes and go down this one. If it was no, you'd go down here. And I was convinced in my mind that whatever in particular was okay, and so I skipped the one step. Went down and did all the rest, came all the way to the bottom, and it still couldn't find the problem. And I spent somewhere in the neighborhood of half an hour to an hour trying to figure this out. And I went back and said, you know, I better double check what I already know is good, and lo and behold, that was bad. And it was something as simple like a fuse. And so I learned from that day, the first thing you check is the fuses. But I skipped a step, and the point is, is that in, in serving God, God has a plan. And if you say, well, I don't need to pray to God, I don't need to have my relationship with him, you skip one of the most important steps. And then you can't figure out why. Where's God at today? What happened? Why did my wheel fall off? And that could be not literal, but figuratively. Turn to, um, I'm, well, you don't need to turn to him. I'm going to read part of a verse in, in Psalm 109. The last part of that verse. Psalm 109, verse 7, the last part of the verse. And it says, And let his prayer become sin. When Nadab and Abihu came and brought the incense, it says they brought strange fire. One of the things they were commanded to do is they were to take the coals, and according to history, the incense they brought, or the fire they brought, was not actually a flaming fire, but they took a pan and put the coals from the altar. They could not go, um, they could not leave their tent. Maybe they had a fire outside the tent they were cooking their man on. They could not take that coal, put it into their pan, and walk into the courtyard, and then walk into the, the tabernacle and say, I'm going to put my incense on that. 
when they came in with their pans or their, their container, they had to get the coal from the altar. And that had to be purified. There was a reason that God was showing who he was in the whole tabernacle and the whole setup. And it's amazing once you study and, and look at the significance of all that. And it's liking today that saying you cannot become a Christian unless you have the shed blood of Jesus Christ, unless you confess your sins to God. And you'll find that throughout the New Testament. That unless you confess your sins to God, um, that's the way to save us, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door. So there are steps we have today that we are instructed in, in the New Testament, just like God instructed these people to perform. So I believe when Nadab and Abihu came into the tabernacle, they came and approached the altar of incense, <clears throat> not according to God's plan, apart from his instruction. However, whatever step they missed, they missed it. And in a sense, their prayer or their incense became a sin to them. So if you approach God today, not taking the proper steps, not having your heart right with God, that I believe that you are, are guilty of the same thing that Nadab and Abihu were. And it says that, um, and, and Psalms 109 is talking about punishment of the wicked. And, he's, and he says, the first part of the verse says, And when he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Sometimes it's see, I've heard people already say, and it, and it feels that way, when you pray, that your prayer doesn't go further than the ceiling. It's like God doesn't answer his prayers. Well, the truth is, God hears all of our prayers. He knows what we are saying. He knows what we are praying for. I'm going to read um, some from Isaiah chapter 1. If you want to turn to that. Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> and this is a call to repentance, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our people. I'm sorry, the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beast. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this of your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you, yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I believe that the, the mistake that 
Nadab and Abihu did was not in not going to church. They went to the temple. They didn't have a church, but they had a, had a tabernacle. They went to the tabernacle. They didn't make that mistake. And, and what God is saying here in this portion, he says, you're doing all the sacrifices. That's not the problem. The problem is, is your heart. And he tells them in 16, wash you, make you clean, and put away the evil of your doings. And if you look through scriptures, that is the reoccurring theme that God is teaching us. That you can, it is important for the children of Israel to do the rituals. But if that's all they do, then God gets tired of it. Then all it is is just the fatted lamb that's, that's slaughtered, or the bull, or the scapegoat, and the shedding of more blood. And to him, he's like, I, I get tired of that. If you don't come to me with a pure heart and a repentant heart, that's what I'm really after. I want the combination of the two. So there has to be a repentance. There has to be a pure heart before God. And in verse 13 of, this, of Isaiah chapter 1, he in, in particular mentions incense. He says, incense is an abomination unto me. Now I believe the, the priest could brought in, he could have got the coals from the altar, could have put the correct amount or the proper amount of incense on it and burned it before God, and to God it stank. It's not because of the incense, it's not because of the coals, but it's because of the attitude of the people that came in. So if we come to God and say, God, I want, you to, I want you to help me out, and God's like, I know your heart. You're not, you don't, you're not really interested in serving me. All you're interested in doing is for your own self. I don't think God likes that. <clears throat> I want to turn, uh, before I turn there, um, Revelations 5.8 talks about the incense is the prayer of the saints and the, the angels that had their, um, their bowls, it says they, they were full of incense and the incense was the prayers of the saints. So it would indicate that the prayers of those saints were the prayers of the ones that were either persecuted or martyred for their faith in Christ. And they prayed like, how long will our blood not be avenged. And so these prayers are, in a sense, put together in these bowls or these, these vials. And God is storing them up for that last time, and it says he's going to pour out the vials, he's going to pour out the incense, and God's going to bring judgment. So just because you're praying to God and it seems like there's no answer, God does hear your prayers. And it indicates that he is storing them up as incense. I want to turn to the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 1 through 11. And I'm sorry if it seems like people just get killed in my message this morning, but um, there, are, there are warnings um, out there that God wants us to, to pay attention to. And like I said before, Nadab and Abihu were killed during the inauguration of the tabernacle. And somewhere we have the inauguration. I don't think it's necessary one specific time. Maybe if there was one specific time, you might say it was the day of Pentecost when God sent down his Holy Spirit as tongues of fire on the people. Um, but around this time, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so you might say, what did Ananias and Sapphira do wrong? 
I mean, they, did, they donate a lot of money to the church. They gave a lot of money to people. What was their problem? Let's read that. Acts chapter 5. And we see that with these two people in the Old Testament and with the two people in the New Testament, God is setting an example. And the lessons are almost identical. Starting in verse 1, I'll read three eleven. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own? In thine own power. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? that thou, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. There is a story of a man that did an experiment, put five monkeys into a cage. And in this cage, he had a ladder set up, and at the top of the ladder was a banana. And all monkeys like bananas. So he had a garden hose, and as soon as the first monkey discovered the, mon the banana up on the top of the ladder, he started climbing up the ladder. And that guy quick turned his water hose on the monkey, and the monkey didn't like the water, so he scampered down. The banana was not worth getting wet. The next monkey did the same thing, discovered the banana at the top. And likewise, he hosed that monkey down. And he repeated that five times until he taught and trained all his monkeys to not climb the ladder and get the banana. And from that point on, they never got the banana. Then he tried another experiment. He took one of those five monkeys out and brought a new monkey in with the four others that were trained. And the new monkey did not know anything about what would happen if he would get the banana. So he found the banana, he started up the ladder, and guess what? The other monkeys grabbed him and pulled him down. Of course, in their own language, they probably chattered and said, don't go get that banana. And he never got that banana. Then he took another monkey out that he had trained, and he did the same thing, and the other monkeys pulled him down. And it came about that he got to the point where there was no more of the original five monkeys. But none of the new monkeys would go up and get the banana. They were all trained. They had no idea why they were not supposed to go get banana because none of them got wet. They strictly went by what the other monkeys did to them. Pulled them back down and their little chatter probably said, don't go get the banana. And they listened. So why, where do I bring that into this message is that you were not there when Nadab and Abihu were killed with fire. You were not there 
when Ananias and Sapphira were just, boom, dropped over dead. But you hear the stories. You know that there's danger by not obeying God, by lying to the Holy Spirit. See, these two or these four people disobeyed God. They lied to God. And there was immediate consequences. I believe that those two ex examples are in the Bible for us today. And you might say, man, if I, was, if I was alive back then, I'd probably be dead. Because I've made mistakes in my life. I deserve to die. And the truth is, you're right. We all deserve to die because of our sin. But God, because he sent a Savior down, he died in our place for our mistakes and for our sins. How do we approach a holy God? And there were people probably says, you know, Aaron and Moses says, hey, I need to have two priests to take Nadab and Abihu's place, but not me. <laughs> That's dangerous work. What about in the early church? You want to come to church? No, because, man, they, I mean, you, I saw these two people die. Is that our approach to God? Or do we say, I'm not going to make them the same mistake that they made? And after you experience the holiness of God, do you a month later forget that goodness of God? Do you read in the scripture a chapter? And we had people say some verses this morning that you memorized from years ago. How much of an impact does that memorization have on you today? It should. But see, our minds tend to wonder. We tend to forget. I don't understand why God had to kill these four people. But I would like to think that it's there as an example for our benefit. And I don't think it's in my place. I know it's not in my place to question the motive of God. Could have he not said, because it says that fire came out from the presence of God. And the way I understand it is the altar of incense was in the tabernacle, but it wasn't in the holiest of holies, but it was right close to the veil. And so the, the Ark of the Covenant was right on the other side of the veil, and it wasn't a huge, huge room. So the glory of God dwelt there on the mercy seat, and it didn't have that far to go. Couldn't have God just sent out maybe like, uh, you know, 40 volts just to, you know, for one second, just to zap them a little bit? Like, you made a mistake, um, kind of like touching an electric fence. You do that one time, and you probably won't do it again, especially if it's cranked up a little bit. I don't like to get shocked. If I get shocked one time on electric fence, I'm not going to just walk up there and touch it. Couldn't have God done that with Nadab and Abihu? Why didn't he? Just zap them a little bit and warn them. Instead, he killed them. I mean, boom, they were dead. So how do we approach God? How do we come to God? God gives us the answer in John chapter 4. It's in the Gospel of John Verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> and he says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Today, if we look around us in society, we can see what the problem is around us. I mean, if people wouldn't lie, America would be a better place. If people wouldn't steal, America would be a better place. If there wouldn't be such 
immorality. If there would be such this, all this evil around us, America would be a better place, wouldn't it? And you might say, we all agree to that. But I would like to suggest that the problem with America or the world we live in is not in people that steal. It's not in people that cheat in business or that lie or that are immoral or that take advantage of people. That's not the problem. We need to look at ourselves inwardly. And I think the problem is right here. If we do not approach God in true worship, so think about the person that came into the holiest of holies. He had to do it in a proper way. When we come to church, or when we come to worship God, where is your heart at? And so we blame other people instead of looking inwardly. So that's what God is telling us. Those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I know we're going to have communion this coming week. And I don't know if this passage is going to be read, but in 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30, it gives us the indication that when they come to communion, their heart's not right. And it says, for this cause... Many are weak and sick among you. You see, the, you see the relationship? Now, it doesn't mean that if you're sick, that your heart's not right with God. That's not what it's saying. But it says because your heart's not right with God, and you didn't approach the, you didn't come to communion or to this, to the, yeah, in communion with a pure heart, that's the reason that there are sicknesses and there's weakness among you. Visualize with me a man in a, we're just going to visualize a dark forest because that's typically where at night it's darker in the forest, right? Because there's no lights in there. And a man's walking down the pathway and he's got this little lantern that he's holding. And it's one of these old time lamps that has a little wick in it. And so it shines just enough that he can see that he doesn't trip. So maybe 10 feet, 15 feet in front of him and 15 feet behind him. And that's all that's lit up. And you might think of that person as being a man that is spreading forth the word of God. But maybe the reason it's so dim is because he doesn't have, he has his own light and doesn't have the light of God. Because if it's God light, God's light that's in that lamp, it'll be like a floodlight that lights up the darkness. Or, because there, there can't be darkness and light in the same place. You flip the switch on for the lights and the darkness leaves. That's just the law of nature. So who are you today? Are you that man that has that little lantern with just a little wick and just enough so I don't trip? But if somebody else comes through the forest, he's got to carry his own lantern. Well, there's many people today that walk in darkness. They don't have the truth in them. So as we hold forth the word of God, it's much brighter than that little tiny lantern. And it should light up so that other people can see God. And the other amazing thing that happens is if you have a little light and people are hiding behind a tree, let's say, for instance, who do they see? They see you because there's just enough light that they see your face. But if you have the light of God's word, God's light is so bright that it actually hides you. And they see the light of God, the glory of God. And that's what we want to experience today. You may never see in a vision or 
you may never be like Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders where you saw God walking on a, on a street that was like sapphire and saw the glories of heaven. You may never see that here on earth, but you can experience the glories of heaven. And as we shine the light of God, as God's light shines in us, people will see less of us and more of God. But the dimmer your light, and if you come to God with your own light, they will see you and not God. And that's not God's purpose. In closing, I want to read Psalms 51, 17. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. <clears throat>